Hello, everybody. It is Tim, one half of the illustrious, the best horror podcast in the land, in any land, on the earth, in the universe, horror movie yearbook. This is the honor roll, episode five of 2022. I've done, I've stuck to my schedule. Round of applause for me. I've made it through almost three months. So there you go. That's not bad. Uh, that's, I don't even think that's a schedule. That's, that's, that's a routine now. So I don't know. I'm in a different spot in the house. Now I have moved my recording set up somewhere else. It may be a little bit more echoey. I guess we'll find out. Also, there's this weird noise that's happening behind me. I've been, I've been moved to the lower level of my, my house. And I, so I'm right by the, the front window now. And for whatever reason, there's this like weird I don't know if you can hear it. It kind of just sounds like constant wind or constant machinery coming from somewhere behind me. So I don't know. We just recorded a um, a new... We did a commentary episode for Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. So how about that? We watched it. We actually watched it on a 3D t- TV, 3D on the 3D Blu-ray that was... Put up by Scream Factory a year or two ago on the box set. It was a lot of fun. It was a completely new viewing experience. We invited the founder, one of Mr. Alex himself, host of the co-host of the Midwest Game Nerds, to join us. I think he had a lot of fun as well. We just we kind of shot the breeze for a little bit and watched Friday the Thirteenth. And I think it can be enjoyed even if you don't want to sync up the commentary. If you want to just listen to us, kind of riff for a little bit. We also recorded a Tiny Terror where we discuss some excellent listener feedback from Alan. So check that out. And we also discussed, Alex and I discussed the Batman a little bit. And then all three of us discussed which Sonic characters we are thirstiest for. Which Sonic characters from Sonic the Hedgehog really rev our engines. So we make sure to talk about that. So if that's so, if those three things are something you are interested, listener feedback on bars to go to in the Cincinnati area, the Batman and sexy Sonic characters. Well, then I have the show for you and that's up. That will be up on our Patreon later this week. So how's, how's that for a tease? It is March. Of course it's March madness time. So is this madness? Is it the movies? Are the movies I'm talking about madness today? I don't know. I don't know. I filled out my bracket though. Who do I got? Who do I got my bracket? Let me bring it up real quick. Before we get into these, I want to I want to make sure the the people listening get the best picks for the final four. I've only done the men's brackets. I apologize. I've not done the women's bracket. I, I, I know a little bit about women's basketball, but not enough to really f- be confident. Of, I'm not confident in the men's side of things and I watch it. So who do I got here? All right. Out of that would be the West bracket, I believe the Gonzaga bracket. I have I've got Gonzaga coming out of there. I think they're too strong offensively. If I were going to pick maybe a dark horse, it would be Texas Tech because I believe they are very high in defensive ratings. And in the tournament, you've got to be able to play defense. They're a three seed, so it wouldn't be a huge upset. I just think, I don't know, I think Gonzaga's been one of the strongest teams all year pretty consistently. I know they've had their ups and downs. I know that conference isn't the strongest, although this year that conference they play in is pretty good. So I would take Gonzaga out of there. On the other side, this would be the South Bracket. Illinois, who did I have? I think I had, I think I have no, no, I have Tennessee coming out of this one. Tennessee, 
got a three seed. Should have been higher, honestly. They play their first couple games in Indianapolis, which is pretty close to where they're at. I've got them coming out, and maybe some of this is because I don't see Arizona a lot. I know Arizona is pretty highly ranked both in offensive and defensive efficiency efficiency ratings. I like Tennessee, though, coming out of this. Kind of the side of the, I think they're motivated, and they are also a three seed. So I have got – oh, no, I have Gonzaga coming out. So Gonzaga, Tennessee, who do I have in the bottom? This is the east side of the bracket. This is the Baylor bracket. Hey, so Baylor started off looking like one of the best teams in the nation, and then they kind of faded in and out a little bit. I haven't been as impressed. That's a tough conference, though, the Big 12. UCLA made it, of course, last year. I have another three seed in this one. I picked Purdue over Kentucky, and then I think I had them going over Baylor. I've got Purdue. I think Purdue has been one of the more consistent teams as well this year. I know they've had some losses in the Big Ten. But I don't like going straight chalk in my bracket and just picking one seeds. So, and Baylor is, I think, probably them or Arizona are the weakest one seeds in my opinion. But that's not an insult. They're all good teams. So I've got Purdue coming out of that side. The other side, I think I just have Kansas. Iowa is the trendy pick here. I do not trust Iowa's defense at all. I actually think they might get bounced early like they tend to do, tend to be. Auburn is another... Another pick I can make, Wisconsin, I don't trust in the tournament. Providence is the four seed. Kansas, honestly, by default, I think this is the weakest side of the bracket. So there you go. So then I got Kansas. So Kansas, um, Tennessee, Kansas versus Tennessee. I'll take Tennessee there. Gonzaga versus Purdue. I'll take Gonzaga there. And then I'll take Gonzaga over Tennessee in the final. So I've got Gonzaga winning the national championship. There you go. That is my bracket. I'm sure there's a. I'm sure there's a lot of people that went through and say, "Hey, Tim, pick every game for us." No, 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 no. You only get my final four, and my national championship pick. Let's talk about five of final five movies, though. Final five horror movies. Let's talk about the honor roll. Let's get into this. If you have not joined me before on this, well, I'm not going to tell you. What I'm, I'm just going to get into it. I don't. I don't have time for this. I, I wasted too much time going through my tournament bracket. I don't have time to explain to you what I'm doing here. Let's start with Fresh. The horrors of modern dating seen through one man, one young woman's defiant battle to survive her new boyfriend's unusual appetites. Yeah, you could say that. Directed by Mimi Cave. Written by Lauren Kahn. Starring Daisy Edgar Jones, Sebastian Stan, and Jojo T. Gibbs. No relation to my co-host, Willie Gibbs. There is, so this is on Hulu now, there is a moment that freaked me out quite a bit, and it's not spoilery so much, and because it, it happens early on, so I feel comfortable talking about it. I've been trying to stay away from, I spo- like the first couple episodes of The Honor Roll, way, way back six months ago, I spoiled the hell out of everything, and there is a movie later on I'll spoil, but it, it's kind of the nature of the beast when it comes to the slasher search, but there is one moment that I want to talk about in particular in this movie. I've been married now going on four years. My wife and I dated a couple years before that. So it's it's been a while since I was out on the scene, if you will. And I was never really on the scene that much. I mean, whatever, that's the, the point. Okay, so there's a guy and a girl. And the guy and the girl are Sebastian Stan and Daisy Edgar Jones. So guy and girl are in this grocery store. And it's late at night. And they're flirting. And he's making jokes about 
like grapes. There's these grapes. There's these special grapes. He thinks they're he thinks they're wonderful. And then so he offers them to her, and they eat grapes together. It's all very cute, uh, meat cute even. And then he is going to leave. He turns his back. He turns back around, and he asks for her number. And she says, "Okay." And then he doesn't take out a piece of paper. This is not the olden times where you would take out a piece of paper, write it down. Or he doesn't say, all right, say it out. Say it out loud. Give me, I guess he doesn't want anybody else having her number or hearing that he's got her number. So he doesn't put it in his own phone. He hands her his phone in the middle of the grocery store so that she can put it in his phone. Now, I think I've done this before, not necessarily as, as like a date, but like as as like a friend or like even just like hanging out or whatever. I've done this. I've handed my phone to somebody else to put their number in. I get it. But now that I have had the same phone that I've had for like five years, like I had a mental collapse during this moment of the movie. I had to pause the movie to collect myself because I realize now Knowing what I know, and especially after the last couple of years, I could never do this, especially not in a grocery store around food. I can't do this anymore. And it's not because I would be afraid like someone would take it or that they would do something like they would see something that I do not want them to see. It's because my phone is fucking disgusting. It is awful. It is just a mess of germs and matter and it. And I know it's a thing where you hand someone your phone, but, but like that's for like the bar. This is a grocery store where you're handling food. They're handling grapes. My phone has been in the bathroom with me. It's been in my pocket while I do long runs and I'm, I'm like sweating through my sweatpants and stuff. It's used by me to do other things. I can't. I can't even think about this. I won't even hand it to my wife. I don't even, well, I have, but I don't even like doing it. Like I just, I will say you get a, I, I will like wash it off and stuff before I hand it to her. I'll disinfect it. Um, if we're ordering food, like I want to use her phone and it's not, not just because it has her credit card saved on it either. It's just, my phone is too gross. It's hers is her. She replaces her phone all the time. I don't, uh, my, my, my wife is like, she's probably wondering, I'm so secretive with my phone because like, she's wondering if I'm having some sort of like uh, like dalliance because I don't want her touching my screen to order like fucking B-dubs or something. But it's just because I don't want to put her through that. So there you go. That was the moment. The moment where Sebastian Stan hands Daisy Edgar Jones his phone was the most horrifying moment in the movie Fresh, which is a movie I liked a lot. By the way, this just last week I went on like a half rant or last episode, I should say. I'm the honor roll. I went on kind of like a half rant uh, about some guy that was some review that was complaining about how these Fox searchlight pictures were getting dumped on Hulu. And I, I kind of hand waved him. And well, guess what? I'm with that guy now. This movie deserved a better fate than the, just being dumped on the Fox searchlight hub on Hulu. I don't I I wouldn't have seen it in the theater because I'm old and I don't get out much, but someone would have. And I think this deserves to have had a small theatrical run because it's pretty terrific. I And it's a it's a terrific looking movie as well. This is a movie that lives or dies with the chemistry of the leads. And the first 30 minutes are built around Daisy Edgar Jones and Sebastian Stan and their blossoming the blossoming early stages of their relationship. And they work really well together. Sebastian Stan is a guy I've never really warmed to, but I think it's it might be because I hate the character of Bucky from the Marvel movies from the Captain America. I can't stand Bucky. He's a real problem. He's like the he's like the shitty friend that always gets you in trouble. He's never going to get his life together. But I liked him in this movie. That's right. I liked Sebastian Stan more as the cannibal who is kidnapping women to sell their meat to other cannibals than I do 
Bucky. Is that a me problem? Maybe. But I think it's a Bucky problem, personally. This is directed by Mimi Cave. And while I hey, think it might go on a few minutes too long, it is well-paced. It's visually interesting. There are a couple of dreamy dance sequences here. Always love a good dreamy dance sequence or two. If you're making a movie and you're concerned about how it's going and how people will respond, throw a nice dreamy dance sequence, dance sequence and it'll turn around. The script is by Lauren Kahn, who has written a lot of shorts for people like Rob Riggle, Eliza Coop. She's done some work with Adam McKay as well on movies like The Other Guys. She wrote the Netflix movie of Biza with Jillian Jacobs that looked funny. I never got around to watching it, but this is good. It's focused on the horror too, and the backstretch of it especially. It never loses sight of the fact that it's a horror movie. And I that's something I harp on a lot, but I, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate when horror movies aren't afraid to be horror movies. It's mostly about the kind of horrors of modern dating, about kind of the kind of the white knight, the horrors of like the guy as the white knight. I do think it sprinkles in a little bit about middle class, upper middle class people kind of eating each other in in order to get ahead financially and the kind of things we will do to each other to make money. A lot of that stuff, though, as I said, is sprinkled in. It doesn't overwhelm. It's there if you want it. It doesn't it doesn't dominate like say um recent Adam McKay movies, for example. I really enjoy this. It is one hundred percent on the honor old fresh, and it might be my favorite horror flick so far this year. I really, really liked Fresh. It is on Hulu now, and you can find it on the front page, I believe. But if you can't, check out the Fox Searchlight Hub and uh you can watch the movie No Exit on there as well. So fresh is on the honor roll. Next up the weekend getaway. Excuse me. I have not swallowed all of my Tim Hortons, delicious Tim Hortons. This is a podcast brought to you. (laughs) They're not a sponsor. I wish I wish I could get some Timmy Ho. Uh, the weekend away. This is on Netflix. It's a new Netflix movie, more horror adjacent than anything, but whatever. I wanted to watch it. A weekend getaway to Croatia that goes awry when a woman is accused of killing her best friend. As she attempts to clear her name and uncover the truth, her efforts unearth a painful secret. Directed by Kim Ferret, written by Sarah Alderson, which that's based on the novel by her, starring Leighton Meester, Christina Wolf, and Ziad Brockery. Let's this is a Netflix movie. So let's talk about one of my favorite topics. My failures as a modern viewer. I'm not good at it. There are parents on this podcast network. My co-host included that have mastered the process of watching films in multiple sittings. And this has been aided by modern streaming technology in a lot of ways. I am not one of these people. I watched this movie in three sittings across two days. And I'm going to get into that real quick. Now, I know that might not seem a lot to like a lot to everybody, especially parents, because some people can watch these movies across a whole week. I can't even imagine doing that. Oh, my brain is collapsing in on itself. This is like a this is like a 90 minute movie. So three sittings would be like 15 to 18 minutes a piece. This is that's like a quibby. I think that's just shortly. I don't even remember. Quibby would just randomly break things up and do whatever it felt like. (laughs) So why wasn't Quibby a huge hit? Uh, it's a story for another time, but it's a question I ask myself every day of my life. So let's get into it. My first sitting was day one. I sat down to watch it, 
got a little over 10 minutes into the movie and then I got like a phone call, I believe. Like a phone call. Can you believe it? Not a text. Speaking of modern technology, gone awry. An actual phone call. Everything was fine. But then I think it ended up forgetting that I had started the movie. So my wife and I went to the grocery store afterwards. So there you go. <laughs> that was my, that was sitting number one ended in me going to the grocery store. Sitting number two was a couple days later when I remembered that I was watching this and it was after work. My wife works a little later than I do. And she's not crazy about horror movies. Although she might've liked this one. It's not, it's not super horror-y, but I like to watch a lot of the horror movies I like to watch after work because I've got some time to myself and I like to, I like to crank up the volume too. And like, as soon as the people start screaming on the screen and she's on a work call, I like to, uh, I like to crank it up. So people, people think there's a brutal murder happening in our house. It amuses me greatly. I'm sure it amuses her as well and worries the people she's on the phone with. Anyway, I started it up in about, I'll say about 40 minutes into sitting number two. So like 50 minutes into the movie, my dog decided she did not want to watch this movie anymore. And she had different ideas. And this was, this is my fault here. My dog usually gets two walks in the winter, three once the weather gets nicer. Cause I like to get the blood flowing. I like to get out and move around and we don't get a ton of nice weather where I'm at. Uh, but the problem, the thing is my dog likes to smell the entire neighborhood while we're out on our walk. And we'll get to that in a minute. So it was on this day that I had only taken her for one walk. The day that I sat down to watch the weekend away, continue it. I had only taken her for one walk during the day. It was pretty shitty out. Honestly, it doesn't, it's starting to warm up here. Now this is a week or so ago when I watch it, but in the beautiful state of Michigan, it doesn't like get like actual nice until like fucking May. (laughs) It sucks. Don't move here. If you don't get me started. So my dog, very adorable dog just comes up and sits in front of me. And she stares at me like on top of me, basically. And it's actually more distracting when she's sitting there like that and staring at me like a psycho uh, than just pausing the movie and taking her for a walk. Or so I thought. So I paused the movie, figuring I'll take her around the block and just finish the last 30 minutes when I get back. Huge mistake. My dog, I love her, but she is the absolute worst to walk in the world. We never attempted to train her. I'm not sure it would work anyway, and it's definitely not going to now, but she she pulls like crazy, and this is treacherous during the winter months, especially when it's icy out, especially during these months when it's more ice than snow in a lot of ways, and she's a decent-sized dog. She's like, I don't know. She's a, she's a mutt. She's part pit, part lab, part husky, part poodle, <laughs> so she's she's all sorts of things, but if she sees a dog across the street, it becomes like a war for the ages, like tug of war for the ages. And it takes all I can. I've got to like move on to the, to the snow to hold her back. Uh, she's not like, she just wants to play. Um, but she's also part lab and she smells everything, every freaking thing. It's crazy. And uh, oh, th- th- this reminds me, Lorraine Newman, who was one of the original cast members, from SNL way back in the seventies, one of the OG cast members, she tweeted something out like a month ago. And this is why I don't go on Twitter very much anymore because of people like Lorraine Newman and this tweet, but it was essentially, if you're taking out your dogs outside on a walk, don't pull them. Don't drag them away from what they're smelling. Let them smell to them. It's like reading a book and it breaks up the monotony of the day inside the boring old house. <laughs> Listen, 
listen, Lorraine, this is great advice for people who, like you, I assume, live in California, but it's 10 fucking degrees outside in Michigan. We got to keep moving. I'm not like dragging my dog down the street, but like I will give it, but that tweet stuck with me. So I don't let my dog smell as much. I do a little bit, but like, I, cause I feel guilty and it's because of this damn tweet. And I know she's right that my dog is like really enjoying just smelling all of the piss that is all over the entire city that I live in. But I can only do so much in 10 degree weather before I'm just like, Hey, let's, let's get a little talk. Let's get it moving. I'm freezing. So, and honestly, how much piss do you need to smell? I mean, I know your dog, so it's very exciting. I never need to smell piss. I can't say like when I eat asparagus and you start to, is it asparagus that makes your pee smell? Ay. Anyway, I bring this up. <laughs> Are we getting back to the movie? I don't remember. I bring this up because at the time I get back, I'm cold. I'm frustrated by this battle with my dog in the frigid outdoors of Southeastern Michigan. And I realize it's dinner time and I'm hungry and I'm cold. So my wife and I eat dinner. And then finally later that night, I remember, oh, I got to finish the weekend getaway or the weekend away. I don't even remember the name. So I turn it back on and then I realize not only do I remember not remember the name, I don't remember anything about this movie. And it's a movie that features a bunch of twists and turns and all that good stuff. And I spend the last half hour trying to piece together the first 50 minutes of the plot in my memory and I completely fail so I guess the moral of this entire story is support movie theaters because they lock you in a dark room and they give you food and they say and they they crank up the AC or it's kind of warm. You can wear your jacket in there. There's no there are no dogs allowed in movie theaters that I know of. Maybe there are not. Maybe like uh, comfort animals and stuff. So there you go. Support movie theaters so you don't go through what I went through. Anyway, how was the movie? I don't know. It seemed kind of fun. I don't like the I don't actually don't like the term time waster because really if you think about it everything is a time waster but i, I kind of like the term beach read and this is a beach read style movie like it's a it's a it's a nice movie it's a movie you kick back with on the beach if you've ever gone to the beach if not if you have not gone to the beach it's just basically kind of a uh um a brisk read there's some really gorgeous scenery in it it's i think a lot of it is filmed in croatia I would have really liked I, I if I would have really liked it I probably would have rewatched it from the beginning. There was there were a lot of accidental like people being pushed to their death accidentally in this movie, which was kind of funny. So there you go. Uh not on the honor roll. I didn't dislike it. It was a it's kind of a fun kind of a fun little twisty flick, but uh it's not on the honor roll, but that could be my fault. Next up Suicide Forest Village. One day, a mysterious box arrived, and a curse began to spread all over. The source of the box is Jukai Village. The village is hidden in Jukai Forest, a suicide spot that once you enter it, you can never come out. Directed by Takashi Shimuzu. Written by Daisuke Hasaka. Takashi Shimuzu. Starring Yumi Adashi, Hideko Hara, and Fuji Kameo. So, I have been doing this honor roll thing for about six months or so now so less than a year for sure and this is the second Takashi Shimuzu film that I have covered the other film was Howling Village which I liked but like a lot of his work I found it tough to kind of wrap his excuse me 
yikes, uh, uh, wrap my arms around plot-wise. I just burped. That's why I said yikes. Uh, Takaki, Takashi Shimuzu, he's a Japanese director. He's probably best known for Juon and Juon 2, the, or the American remake, The Grudge, The Grudge sequel. Altogether, he has directed over 20 movies, of which I have seen a handful. So I'm not an expert. I guess I, I know enough to be dangerous. He does play around with similar motifs and themes in a lot of his work. And he is one of the key figures in that J-horror, A-horror boom of the 2000s. So speaking of J-horror, let's do this. I've got a checklist of some of the common motifs. And this is very fitting, obviously, since Shimuzu is partly responsible for popularizing a lot of these with American audiences and the aughts. So let's do this. This is a J-horror checklist. And we're going to see how many of the boxes Suicide Forest Village checks. One of the things, Dead Wet Girls. This is from a book called... The J-Horror, The Definitive Guide to the Ring, the Grudge, and Beyond, this term, by David Collat. And I'll give a quick explanation on by what he means by dead wet girls. And I think he kind of coined this term, but what it means is basically the girl from the ring. Sadeko Samara in the American version, the dripping wet younger girl. She's got black hair hanging down in front of her face. You know the type. It was on box art throughout the 2000s. There is actually a demon from Japanese folklore, folklore called the Okiku, who is a girl who drowned in a well, who then haunts the place of her death, which is obviously very similar to the story of Sadeko. I don't remember any dead wet girls in Suicide Forest Village, though. Most of the dead girls in this seem to be forest creatures. I guess I guess they may be wet from forest dew, but it's not necessarily the the typical stringy black-haired girl from the well that that uh common that is common in these movies. I'm going to say this one doesn't check that box. Now, a lot of the stems a lot of that explanation stems from uh, the Japan's location to the water as well. And as you go through J-horror, a lot of water plays a huge role in these movies. I don't think, I don't think it does here though. So beyond, of course, nurturing the trees in the, in the village, uh, there is mud though, dead mud girls. I'd say maybe there are some dead mud girls, ghosts, specifically ghostly school kids. And yes, this has some of those. I wouldn't say they are specifically school kids, but there are some younger ghosts in this. So check. It's got ghosts. Urban legends. Yes, this whole movie is centered around an urban legend. The mysterious box from the woods and the curse it contains within and the suicide village that you can't escape once you enter it. So there you go. Check for urban legends. Female heroes. That's another That's another motif. Yep, we get a couple of those in this one. Viral curses and technology. Okay, so sometimes these are separate, but I've combined them here. Technology plays a role in a lot of these movies. And of course, The Ring is a good example of that and probably one of the most well-known. So I will point to that again. A lot of those J-horror movies are about kind of the friction between the old ways and the new ways and the new technology. This also features both of these both of these things and they go hand in hand. Suicide Forest Village features both viral curses and technologies. People continue to go into this village because of a group of YouTubers, vloggers, whatever. They go there for the content and they drive people to continue to go to the spot. And it's kind of a neat modern twist on the viral curse motif in J-horror. So there you go. I don't think this movie checks all of the boxes, but it certainly checks quite a few of them. I mentioned Howling Village, his last movie, which was released in the States last year, I believe later in the year. And Suicide Forest Village is not a sequel to that in terms of plot, but I think they have things in common, including some of the main actors. But it's more of a spiritual sequel, and it may 
he's mentioned it may be part of a trilogy of kind of spiritually related films. The suicide force in this is based on a real place, a real force in northwest of Mount Fuji called the Echo Gahara Jukai. This is actually the third movie based on this forest in the past like five or six years. There was a the Natalie Dormer flick, which I've seen called The Forest. This is better than that. That one's kind of dull. This is this is better than that. There was also a Gus Van Sant movie from a few years back starring Matthew McConaughey and Ken Watanabe called Sea of Trees. I have not seen this one. It didn't get great reviews, so this might be the best of the of the Suicide Forest movies. And I did like this movie. I did. Uh, but it works more in fits and starts than as a whole. In fact, I haven't been able to wrap my head around the ending since I watched it. And I, I think that's a lot of that's by design because, I mean, a lot of J-horror movies are kind of lyrical and kind of... Uh, for people looking for everything to be to have made sense, maybe you're looking in the wrong spot. It's similar to almost Italian horror in that way. And as of the typing of the script, also not helpful, there have been zero ending explain style videos from the usual suspects on the internet. So get on it people. And I really could have used that to be honest. I guess nobody, there's only like four reviews too on IMDb. So I guess nobody has watched this, but it's, it's on demand right now. Like a lot of Shmooza works I've seen, especially the Joan flick, the story is the storytelling is purposely kind of jigsaw E purposely disjointed with a nonlinear narrative. And I'm not crazy about it, but I, what I really liked though, in this movie were the scenes in the village itself. It's very lyrical. It's very haunting. These are the moments when the movie really came to life for me. Suicide Forest Village works best in those sequences that feel like big splash pages from graphic, from like a graphic novel or a manga, a horror manga. The scenes in the forest, but also the moments in the hospital too, with the shadows forming on the wall. Creepy stuff. And it did feel like a panel or a big splash page. And I really dug that. I've been back and forth on whether I'm going to put this on the honor roll. And I wanted to make the decision on the podcast and I'm feeling, I'm feeling good today. And I think judging by the reviews, I think I like this more than a lot of people, but I'm going to put it off the honor all. There you go. And I kept you in suspense. Yeah, this one doesn't make it, but I think it's worth a watch, especially when it shows up on whatever streaming service it shows up on. So it's a cool, it, it's, it's a decent movie, but it, I have like, big issues with the plot itself and it does drag a little bit so there you go off season after receiving a mysterious letter a woman travels to a desolate island town and soon becomes trapped in a nightmare directed by mickey keating written by ricky mickey keating starring jocelyn donahue joe swanberg and richard brake this let's get this through this one quick this is eh. this is actually the first mickey keating movie i've seen I never got around to seeing uh, Psychopaths Pod or Darling. He's a low-budget low filmmaker. I can't really judge his style. I, I Just by reading, I can kind of, and seeing similar movies. This movie, though, I can judge it. It's got a very mumble, gory, very similar to a lot of those movies that came out in the late aughts, the early tens. And it stars Jocelyn Donahue and Joe Swanberg who were kind of pioneers of that subgenre of horror and the mumblecore subgenre in film itself. I guess this is hearkening back to those, that style of movies at this point, right? We're, I mean, if we're talking about the heyday of that subgenre and I'm talking about movies like the signal house of the devil, which we just covered and did. And I liked 
better this time around, like more this time around. Movies like that, movies like Your Next. I mean, this is, it's almost 10 years ago now. Maybe that's why I didn't like this movie is because it reminded me of how old I am. Well, Keating, he seems to be carrying the torch forward. And I don't know. This movie's fine. Off-season's fine. It has its moments. The subgenre has always been kind of hit or miss with me. And this is more hit or more miss than hit. Its charms are very surface level. It looks nice. It's very glowy, very foggy. The music is decent, but you've heard it before. This is the type of movie that can be reviewed, and I could just review by listing its influences. Lovecraft, Carpenter's The Fog, Carpenter in general, Fulci's The Beyond. And I like all those movies too, but there isn't much going on beyond its influences. And like, those are directors and creators that influence every horror movie. Like 90% of our horror movies can be traced back to those creators. And just once... Just once I want a horror movie to be influenced by like, I don't, I don't know, like Prince Tank Girl comics or Amy Sherman Palladino, the creator of Gilmore Girls. Like, can we mix it up a little bit? Maybe. How many Carpenter influences do I have? And like, it's, yeah, I don't want to get, I don't want to get, I've ranted enough on this episode. I want to save my rants for original members of the Saturday Night Live crew. But there's an audience for this for sure. I am just, I don't think I'm necessarily one of them. The audience is probably, well, I am one of them because the audience is probably aging millennial horror fans like me who don't want to say goodbye to our 20s and 30s. So it's funny. These directors all wear their influences on their sleeves. And it makes me wonder if like someday some kid will make a movie and like his major influence is going to be House of the Devil, which of course was influenced by Carpenter and those 70s haunted house movies like Burnt Offerings. And then of course I will just turn to dust. Anyway, this movie did nothing for me other than making me kind of depressed about how sad I or how old I am. <laughs> so there you go. They're not on the honor roll. Off season available for a, uh, it's a theatrical rental. I was kind of looking forward to it because I was in the mood for something like this. And ah, eh. It's slasher search time, everybody. With student body, high school student Jane Shipley seeks to mend her splintering relationship with childhood best friend Merritt and fit in with her rebellious peers. When Jane's math teacher oversteps his bounds, an apathetic high school administration forces Jane and Merritt to take matters into their own hands, driving their relationship into further turmoil and inciting deadly consequences. Directed, Written and directed by Leanne Kerr. Starring Christian Carmajo, Monse Hernandez, and Cheyenne Haynes. Man, did I pronounce a couple of those weird. Slasher, slasher, search. I'm all over the place right now. This is a movie. Well, we, uh, yeah, yeah, we've done this before. I take, I break it down into five car- categories and I rank it. This is, we took last month off because I could not find any slashers. This one though, actually, I think came out on VOD last month. So we're going to talk about this also stars um Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith. And that she's she plays a kind of a side role. She's good in it. All the all the kids are good in it. But let's let's get to why we're here. The slasher search and spoiler warning. Warning: I am going to be spoiling pretty much this entire movie. So if you do not want spoilers for this movie, turn back now. First category is backstory. So he's a teacher at the school, and he's wearing 
boring brown teacher clothes. We don't really get a full backstory here. We get allusions to his backstory through his motive, but that's kind of filling in the blanks by the viewer, and it's not necessarily in the text of the movie. He's just kind of your stereotypical stuffy, hard-ass teacher. But he's also a creep and an asshole as well. So there's also a whodunit that feels kind of half-hearted in this movie. It doesn't really work and is only there to give it the feel of like those 90s slashers that work as whodunits. This isn't this isn't great stuff, the backstory. It's pretty straightforward. But I don't hate the killer. I don't hate a killer teacher. So I'm going to go four and a half. I'll give it a score of four and a half on backstory. Motive. So the motive here is Jane is, she's kind of the teacher's pet at first. And his motive, the teacher, the killer teacher's motive is to kind of get her to realize that her friends are beneath her and holding her back. So like, think like a kind of like a bat, like a superhero villain, like a Batman villain without spoiling too much about a certain Batman movie. There's one Batman villain in particular I'm thinking of here. He's kind of like that. So this is of course kind of ridiculous, but I didn't hate it. He's kind of, it's extremely convoluted, but it's also kind of, it's unique in that way that he's, he's got this master plan. I do like, I like it a little more when it's just kind of just a slasher killing people for their own reasons, whether it just be randomness or because like they need to hit a certain number. I will also say this, this movie tries though. This He says, it tries to be about something. He says she is special and she's meant to be special. He says he had taught her how to become a woman. I think the sexual themes though are kind of the weakest part of this movie. The, it is trying to be how like the patriarchy shapes and guides women and makes them into forms them in their own visions of how they want women to be and how they pe- think people should be. I don't think it works completely. I do like that. It tries. I'm going to give it a six, a six for motive appearance. So he's the school mascot in this. He's dressed like the school mascot in this, which is a good thing and bad thing. The good is that he's kind of funny looking. He's he's a, He looks like a mascot killing people. It's irreverent and funny. I liked it. He also looks kind of like Purdue Pete. If you've seen the Purdue mascot, Purdue Pete, a little bit. Complete with a sledgehammer, no less. But he doesn't have a hard hat like the Purdue mascot, Purdue Pete. He also looks like something you would see on Pete and Pete, the TV show Pete and Pete. A very Pete-inspired killer. On the other hand, the name Pete. Uh, on the other hand, though, this movie is hearkening back to those 90s slashers a lot. And I don't think the appearance works in that way. Those slashers, I guess the scream mask you could say is a bit sk- silly, but it wasn't like a big mascot head. This harkens back to little Michael Myers running around in Rob, Zomb- Rob Zombie's Halloween. So I will go with a six and a half here so we can get to an even number, basically. And he's, he's funny looking. I the the look is unique and funny. Victims. All right, some will call these people annoying high school kids. I thought they had a little more depth than I was expecting. They're not just stock characters. There's probably too much depth, to be honest. I was getting a little antsy about halfway through the movie when we were still dealing with these kids' interpersonal relationships. But on the other hand, that slasher movie pacing sometimes. Sometimes the pacing is not great. I didn't love a certain twist that happens with Jane towards the end. I do like the, that the killer's motive ties directly into that twist and directly into her. I like, I like the kids. I like the performances. So I will go with a seven for kids. And I, cause, because I appreciate, I like the actors and I like the movie's attempts at depth. So we're going to go a seven for kids kills. This is the weakest aspect of the movie. And honestly, it hurts the movie. 
he sticks with one weapon, which is a sledgehammer. And it's a pretty light kill count as well. I don't mind the single weapon here. Honestly, and the sledgehammer is pretty unique weapon for a slasher. But he only gets three kills total. Four if you count one that is part of his plan. But I don't. You don't get credit for someone else doing your work. And a teacher should know that. That's cheating. The first kill is of a shaggy-haired kid. It's a sledgehammer to the back of the head. Most of it is blunt sledgehammer trauma. There's some good There's some good blood splatter. I will say that in this. But that mainly, there's only a couple kills. I'm going to go four, four kills. So there we go. Let's add these totals up for Slasher Search. Uh, what, what's, I don't, he probably has a name in this, but Mr. Ansbach is his, is the character's name in the movie. So we'll call him that four and a half for backstory, six for motive, six and a half for appearance, seven for victims, four for kills, giving the killer from student body, Mr. Ansbach, a total of 28. I think that puts him not in first. I have to, I don't have my uh, Excel document. I'll, 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 I'll go through this. At another time. Uh, but he's got 28. So he's not going to win Slasher Search this year. But I think he's towards the top. I think I think the Jack in the Box is leading the way, if I recall correctly, as he should. How about the movie? It's all right. Uh, I've highlighted the positives and negatives already, I think, when I went through that. I want to say this because I think it's relevant here. And it's also relevant, especially when it comes to the slasher subgenre. I think sometimes we look back at a lot of these movies through rose-colored glasses. I've seen a lot of reviews compare this negatively to slasher movies from the past that quite honestly are not that good. This is similar, I think, to the reactions to Halloween Kills and the Fetty-produced Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where I'm not sure what we're judging these movies against at this point. Rewatching the entire TCM series recently put this in perspective for me. Believe me, the new Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre is no worse than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Next Generation. And the fact that we have a Scream Factory Blu-ray means that some people look back fondly on that movie. And I, so someday some people will look fondly back on the Netflix TCM. I guarantee it because I know I will be one of them. So student, ba- student body, while it's not great is why I watch slasher movies. And I can see some kid pointing back to it as kind of a forgotten slasher as we are in this slasher boom. Now people like to call it. And some kid now will go, you know what? You know what movie's kind of fun. And we should talk about on whatever is a podcast 20 years from now. They will say we should talk about student body because it's got it, it at least attempts some interesting things. I don't think it's successful. I think it's admirable. Admirable. I wish a little bit more care was put into the slasher part of things, and I think I talked about it a little bit in the slasher shirt stuff. I will never pronounce that correctly, but it's not going to be on the honor roll. The only movie on the honor roll this week for me was Fresh, but there are a couple of interesting movies. I, I didn't like Off Season, Student Body, and. Suicide Forest Village, I think, are worth watches. The Weekend Away, also kind of fun, but honestly, I don't feel comfortable in talking much more about it, thanks to my own distractions. So there you go. I have rambled long enough. I have ranted and raved. I have done it all here on the podcast. Patreon.com backslash MidwestPodNet. HorrorMovieYearbook.com. Check out the Midwest Game Nerds. Check out everything. We are going to be going to Whorehound in a couple of weeks. Actually, we might even be there by the time you listen to this. 
But if you want access to all of our bonus episodes early, patreon.com backslash midwestpodnet is where you can do so. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, That's it for this week. I will see you next time on the honor roll.